The following episode of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast is not two minutes long. You might want to make a sandwich or something. You are listening to the Two Minute Time Lord, 120 seconds of concentrated commentary, because we're all in a hurry. Hi, I'm Chip, and it's been a while since we've done a time dilation episode of the Two Minute Time Lord, where we've gotten a few people around the microphone, virtually or otherwise, and talked about stuff at length. Time dilation is now in effect, however. We're taking a look at the last two years of Doctor Who with a fantastic panel of, well, panelists, and some drop-ins from fans and celebrities, even. This is a massive look at the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who. Why do we call them eras when they're only two years long? Anyway, it's on the way. Come join us. We're going to have some fun. Joining me for this often promised roundtable on Stephen Moffat as a showrunner, past and present, I've got some great friends with me, and we'll lead off the introductions with one Deb Stanish, who contributed to Chicks Dig Time Lords, co-edited Whedonistas, and the upcoming, upcoming? When's that coming? It's upcoming uh, later this year. That's Chicks Unravel Time, Women Journey Through Every Season of Doctor Who. Deb, uh, real quick, what's that book going to be about? Uh, this is sort of a sister anthology to the Chicks Dig Time Lords, uh, the Hugo-winning Chicks Dig Time Lords, I might add, uh, in which we uh, contracted 35 women writers, uh, media professionals, bloggers, to each take on a year or a season of Doctor Who from a more modern and um, diverse perspective. Sounds great. Joining Deb in this uh, time zone is, well, me. Joining Deb from another time zone significantly further to the east is Neil Perryman, who's had his hands in loads and loads of Doctor Who and pop culture stuff, but is right now best known as the co-proprietor of Stephen Moffat's favorite blog, Adventures with the Wife in Space. Uh, Neil, tell me a little bit about that one. Um, That's the blog where I forced my wife to watch Doctor Who from the beginning. And you're still married. Still married, yeah. We're over halfway through and she's still sticking with it. It's unbelievable, really. Joining us is also Teresa Giacino, who writes fiction, pop culture criticism, feminist criticism for various outlets, including Tor.com, China Shop Magazine, Pop Matters Newsarama, and Pink Raygun, and who I definitely would point you to her series Moffat's Women at Tor.com, which we'll be getting to in a few minutes. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. And finally, there's this tall guy named Steven. (laughs) Hi, Chip. Thanks, everyone, for having credentials instead of me. (laughs) Steven Shapansky, (laughs) purveyor of a tiny little podcast called Radio Free Scarrow that you might have heard of, but you've also got something else on the front burner. Yes, that's right. Josh uh, Zyman of Mostly Harmless Cutaway and myself have started a new uh, a new short little podcast called Doctor Who: The Memory Cheats, where we randomly select stories and then immediately discuss them based on our memories, without pre-watching or taking notes or anything like that. So we're reliant on uh, the our memories, uh, no matter how um, good or fallible they are, and it's a lot of fun. And very good it is too. Oh, thanks, Neil. You only say that because you wanted on board from the get-go. But. <laughs> 
And I'm only here because I asked you, Chip, that I wanted to be on 2MTL after 260-odd episodes I'd never been on. And so I, I take this as my token uh, representation on this fine podcast of yours. If it makes you feel better, I am um, virtually patting you on the head and saying, there, there, dear boy, you're finally on my show now. I, I, I don't know how to break this to you, but we're well over the two minutes. <laughs> okay, thanks, everybody. Gotta go. Bye. <laughs> All right. This is, in fact, a time dilation episode. We're throwing that rule out. And, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat took charge of Doctor Who around about 2009, if I'm correct, uh, while uh, Russell T. Davies and David Tennant were finishing up their run, and it all began with the last two minutes, appropriately so, of The End of Time Part 2, where after a great deal of angst and a very sentimental send-off for the previous guy, we got high-energy music, we had uh, uh, this gangly guy uh, kissing his own legs and spitting out cinders and yelling Geronimo, and the tone of the show seemed to completely change. Um, I want to start uh, with some quick overall impressions from the four of you about how you felt when Stephen Moffat's show began and where you guys are right now as far as uh, is this Doctor Who your Doctor Who? Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Stephen. Um, I think I was one of the rare fans that I wasn't necessarily a fan of Moffat's Doctor Who episodes coming in um, to him being showrunner, but I think I looked forward to the change, and I you could sort of tell that he had sort of first album syndrome uh, in series five, and that he had a lot of stuff in his mind from the get go. And I I think I enjoyed season five a lot. It's probably my favorite of the new series series. But I don't know. I think maybe the novelty has worn off for me for Series 6. I didn't like it as much, but I'm sure we'll discuss why uh, later on during this uh, panel discussion. What about you, Teresa? I definitely was a fan of his episodes prior to taking on being showrunner. Um, I think his and Paul Cornell's episodes were my favorite of the new Who. And as of right now, I mean, I still, I'm still a huge fan of Moffitt's. Definitely prefer Series 5 to Series 6. But I don't hate Series 6. Um, it had problems, definitely, but I'm overall, I'm still a fan of his, and I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes from here. In the UK, Mr. Perryman. Yes, I'm here to wave the flag for Mr. Moffat, and um, I'm a big fan, and I'm still a big fan, and I'm here to defend Season 6 to the death. All right. I look forward to the bloodletting that is to come. <laughs> Deb? Uh, I, I agree with Teresa. I was also a huge fan of Moffat's um, Davies-era stories, and I was really looking forward to something new and something different. Um, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about uh, the season five and season six. While I enjoyed them overall, there were some aspects of them that, uh, that kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. But it's also, it's, it's very different um, from from what came before. And I think part of that was just a learning curve on my part to look at look at new who in a different way so um I, I think i almost have to take it episode by episode well let's sort of figure out what it is that makes moffat's who moffat and uh, i think the uh, ideal person to start with that would be neil uh, neil what when you when you look at the last two years of doctor who uh what kind of story is Stephen moffat telling uh, a complex one a complicated complex timey-wimey story which uh, is endlessly fascinating and feels like it's going somewhere 
That's, I think that's what appeals to me. It sort, of, it sort of tunes into the kind of television that I like to watch right now, which might be a bit selfish of me, but it has that. I like the arc, the feel of having an arc. Oh, that's right. You were a you. You and I were the only other Babylon fan five <laughs> fans in Doctor Who fandom, I believe. And there that's is a, there is a bit yeah. of a similarity there. Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a lot of television that does it now. You know, Lost and Game of Thrones, and you know, virtually any television series worth its salt is playing that long game. And I think it's quite brave to to do it, but it makes sense in this day and age where you can rewatch the program over and over again. It's not like it's on first transmission. That's the only time you get the opportunity to take in the story so yeah it's been criticized of being complex but that to me is the appeal is that the and i'll open this up to everybody else is that the main thing that distinguishes uh, stephen moffat's doctor who the the interconnectedness the complex and uh winding uh, story arc i think so and i think it, it was i think it was rid- uh, really sort of cemented it for me and the the difference between moffat's writing and other people's writing is is the last half of series six in that um, after the madcap bonkers that was Let's Kill Hitler, there was sort of four stories in a row written by different writers that I happen to enjoy a great deal. Uh, they're a lot more simpler, perhaps, or, or minimalist, if you will. I mean, Night Terrors is, you know, a passable adventure at best, I suppose. But, I mean, Girl Who Waited was excellent um, with a tiny cast. Um, I really enjoyed uh, God Complex, and I thoroughly had a ball watching um, Closing Time. And so for four weeks in a row there, I was quite enjoying Doctor Who, and all of a sudden, boom, we come back into Wedding River Song, and everything's just sort of completely complex, and, and all this, you know, different timelines converging, and different doctors, and such like this, and and about five or ten minutes into the story, I'm sort of watching it going, you know what, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm... I'm basically relying on the second watch to understand what's going on here now. And for me, the initial buzz of watching the story was gone because of that. I just real, I just sort of, you know, because I, I figured that whatever was going to go on in front of my eyes was probably not going to be what the final outcome was. And so I just sort of, you know, relied on a second viewing to understand it, which kind of disappointed me. That is interesting. It did seem oddly bookended. Like with his uh, the the complex story, um, it was like you know the first two episodes and then the last two, and then everything else in between could be a standalone. There were some indications of the overall plot, but it, that did seem strange in this season. Whereas in season five, it seemed more interwoven into every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of have to agree with Stephen in that, you know, in watching some of the Moffat, you know, and I love a good arc. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I frequently have arguments about the comics um, being too self-referential, um, which I happen to enjoy. But it, to me, some of the Moffat episodes seem like the story was secondary to advancing this arc. Um, and it was kind of all, you know, I have an outline of where I need to go with my overall arc and I need to cram that story into it. And at times, um, I, I don't think it did the story as much service as it as it could have. Um, not that I didn't enjoy watching it, but I did find myself having, like Stephen said, I had to go back and I had to watch it again to get all the subtleties. And, uh, you know, as a hardcore fan, while I enjoy that, I do think it made it a little less accessible for fandom in general. For fandom in general or for the general audience? I mean, uh, the show is very much as popular now as it ever was, it seems. You know, you can't you can't reach the heights of the previous doctor leaving, changing the guard, regeneration, all that stuff. But it, it seems to be just as big as ever. 
Well, I agree. I think when I say fandom in general, you know, there, there's different grade levels of, of fans and not that that doesn't make one fan better than another, but like I'll talk to my sister and she'll say, oh, I'm such a huge fan. Her level of fandom is I watch it every week, you know, not I go on message boards or I, I read things outside of um, spoilers. Uh, so I think it's for the, as I like to call them, the devoted brethren, I think it was fine. But I think if you're talking, um, you know, somebody who likes the show and watches it every week, it, it might have been a little inaccessible. I don't, think, I don't think there's any evidence in this country anyway to support the view that people are turning away from the program because of, because of those aspects. There's no evidence to support that at all. Okay. So it looks like the audience are going along with it. Well, I don't think people are turning away, but I think they're kind of shaking their heads a little bit and saying, oh, Moffat, um, where I don't think Moffat kind of deserves that. I think he's, I, I think the story is complex. I think it's interesting. Um, but sometimes I think he's writing it for, he's writing it for the core fans rather than, um, and I realize this is not a popular opinion, but I, I, you know, it feels like almost reading some of the um, Doctor Who books of the 80s. You, know, you could pick one up and you could read it. You might get the gist of it, but unless you read the 40 before and then the five after, you're going to kind of lose the whole story. One of the things that I'm, tr- that I'm personally trying to do as I watch Moffat's episodes is I'm trying to not to compare them to series one through four plus the specials. I think that's sort of old and done. But I'm also wondering how Moffat's Doctor Who compares to classic Doctor Who. In some quarters of fandom, there was relief and the expectation that when Stephen Moffat would come in, that they'd be getting new Doctor Who that would be much more like old Doctor Who to them. And I'm wondering if any of you are seeing that. I saw it in Series 5. Uh, I think three of my favorite stories of all time were written by Moffat in, in uh, or two, three episodes, I suppose, 11th Hour and the uh, Two Weeping Angels episodes, which I think are absolutely dynamite um, and are, are great callbacks to perhaps the feel of, of the Hinchcliffe era that I think Stephen Moffat grew up in. Now, I'm, I mean, every writer in, worth his salt tries to push the boundaries a little bit, so I can't really fault him for that. But, I mean, I spoke before about how much I enjoyed Series 5, and I think he sort of had a vision in mind from the get-go and now is just trying to sort of push ahead with a different one or perhaps expand on one, and perhaps I'm just being a little bit left behind. I'm not too sure. Uh, Teresa? Well, I was just thinking, like, to me, it doesn't um, <laughs> it doesn't make as much of a difference in this regard because I started watching Doctor Who with Eccleston. So as far as its comparisons to Classic Who, that doesn't matter to me. Where I do see, um, now that I have been watching Classic Who since then, is in the interpretation of the Doctor. And there's a lot of callback between Matt Smith's Doctor, I feel, and previous Doctors even going so far back as, as the first and the second. Um, I mean, obviously, Matt Smith has said in his performance that he, he's been, you know, thinking about Troughton. But also I see similarities in, uh, with Hartnell's Doctor as well. And the things that the Doctor has to learn about being, uh, uh, learning from his companions and being um, a better person. He's learning a lot of the same lessons that I see him learning in, in earlier episodes now. Whereas um, Eccleston and, and Tennant were kind of uh, getting into this like more modern kind of angsty, <laughs> you know, tortured anti-hero territory. Um, I feel like Matt Smith's doctor um, in the way he's written and the way he's performed is, is going back to the, the kind of more basic human lessons that the doctor needs to learn. 
I, I, I would agree with that. Um, there's other, there's another thing about Stephen Moffat, and Stephen Moffat was a big name fan of Doctor Who long before he got into television, long before he began writing for the show, um, even just up until uh, several months before he took the job, he was hanging out on the Gallifrey base forums or the Outpost Gallifrey uh, before that, um, mixing it up with the fans. And in his time as a fan, um, it was said about him several times that he had some subversive ideas about Doctor Who. And I'm wondering if any of you think that he has actually subverted some of the very nature of uh, what the show's about, you know, uh, taking some of the taking some of the things that you took for granted from the last four years and from the classic series and upending them. I don't think you can get any more subversive than than what the RTD era did uh, with New Who. Uh, you know, and thinking back to your last question, even you could you could take the Davies era out of the whole lineup and go right from the Seventh Doctor, even the Eighth Doctor movie, and jump into the Eleventh Doctor, and you can see a very um, you can see a very linear sort of thing. And I think it's almost that the subversiveness came in prior to Moffat, and. And that whole series was was almost an anomaly, it seems to me. Um, and and I think I said this on your the last time we did a podcast together, Chip. That that Moffat almost seems to be rewriting all those subversiveness that that came before him and kind of recrafting it in his own image. We're taking out some of the um, some of the things that that made the Davis era sort of distinct, and he's kind of rewriting it in his own um, his own way. So I I don't know that I think if he had come in as the first showrunner in the New Who, it might seem subversive. But now it almost seems like a throwback to me to classic Who. Yeah, I think that um, it's interesting to me that a lot of the more subversive elements of series five and six come from other writers on the show. Like I felt like, for example, um, Vincent and the Doctor was a subversive episode in that it dealt so honestly with something like depression. But Moffat didn't write that. I mean, obviously, he's a showrunner, but another writer came to him with that idea and he, you know, approved it and helped craft it. So it's interesting to me that a lot of Moffat's episodes that he wrote himself rely so much on classic who and you know so uh, you know stuff that we've seen before whereas the any subversive elements at all come from you know like neil gaiman and the doctor's wife where we have mention of you know the fact that time lords can be either gender you know and, and you know mentioning the, you know the corsair and stuff like that like it comes from from other people and he just kind of incorporates it into a season I almost find that um, Moffat was probably one of the more subversive writers in the Russell T. Davies era, you know, and sort of creating the whole sexuality of the Doctor, you know, the Doctor dances and and Girl in the Fireplace being, a, you know, a love story for him, basically. And now almost, I mean, it's it's thrown in with, with him and River Song now with the 11th Doctor, but the way Matt Smith plays it, it's almost like, you know, sort of empty flirtation in a way because he's he's got, once again, an alien quality to it. So it's almost like it, it's r- sort of, you know, reeling back the overt sexuality that Moffat himself introduced into the show when he wasn't running it. Uh, Neil, what do you think about all this? What was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) Moffat subversion. Is Moffat a subversive uh, showrunner? I don't think so, not particularly, unless you mean subversive in the, in the sense that he's telling a larger story than maybe Russell T. Davis. I always got the sense that Russell T. Davis didn't really know where he was going and sort of making it up on the hoof. 
And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of t- television shows are made like that, and you know, and that's fine. But the thing about Moffat that I think, again, appeals to me is that we're, we haven't even seen the end of this story. We're, 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 we're almost in the middle of it. Well, who knows how far into it we are. But um, it, there's a sense that um, it's, a, it's a story that's continuing to be told rather than the, the, the self-contained aspect that we had with Russell T. Davis. And I don't find it particularly subversive, though, I've got to say. You do get the sense that there's a very there's a very tight plot line that Moffat has, you know, in his bottom drawer, yeah. and he's he's following that that outline to the to the end. Um, he has you get the feeling that there's a very distinct sense of he knows exactly what he's going well, to do. It's next. leading it's leading to the 50th anniversary, so there's definitely a plan behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's difficult to comment at this point how successful the, the overall plan will be. We're led to believe that it will end with the fall of the eleventh at the fields of Trinzalor or whatever. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but we don't know what that. But we really don't know what that means. It's a, that it's a nightclub in Sheffield. Known <laughs> <laughs> fact. If it isn't, it will be soon. <laughs> yeah. Actually, an, an, a subversive. Um, you just made me think of it. Um, element is actually dealing with the Doctor Who question and making that an actual part of the plot. Um, mm. Whereas it was kind of a joke before, and now it's like, no, seriously, that is the most important question in the universe. <laughs> which I think is a, a hugely exciting idea. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes and why his name is so important and what that will mean for the universe if the question is answered or not. Moffat will answer the question for us, but uh, let's take a couple of seconds. And what does the question mean? Because I, 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 the, the question that's never been asked, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, what kind of question is being set up with that other than the, the obvious play on the title of the show? Well, I mean, I think we're led to believe that it's, you know, for some reason, his name can't be spoken. Um, and that, that's been an issue throughout the RTD episodes, too. Like, you know, only he can only tell people his name at certain times. And I think that, that now it's, it's about, like, why that is. And, and what is it about the doctor that is so frightening or powerful that mentioning his name is, is enough to, to wreak havoc? Maybe it's just um, really embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Francis. Yeah. Yeah. Alert. It's the sort of thing Moffat would do. <laughs> that would be funny. I yeah. would I would I would approve of that decision. It's, it's Bob. <laughs> I know it would make a lot of people yeah. mad. Bob. Bob the Time Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I like that thought. Um let's let's shift gears for a moment. We've sort of danced around it uh with talking about the new Doctor Who attitude towards romance and relationships and we mentioned River Song. Certainly there's been a lot of conversation about the role of female characters and the role of women in um Doctor Who over the last couple of years. Teresa has a series going on tour.com called Moffat's Women, which sort of bucks the trend of what I've been seeing on social media and in various um, in, in various fora, where there's been a lot of feminist criticism of Amy Pond and River Song and characters like that. I don't think, but uh, Teresa just doesn't have that much of a concern, if I recall correctly, Teresa. Uh- no, you, you do recall correctly. Um, the reason why I started that uh, column in the first place was because I was concerned initially about Amy Pond because of the response that Karen Gillan was getting. It seemed that when she was cast, it immediately became about her looks, about how hot she is, about how boys are going to love looking at her. And, and it, I was concerned that it would become about that. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that while that is certainly a part of her character, 
um, it's one of many elements. Um, and it's not the, you know, the focus. And it's something that, sh- that uh, is used as a tool to watch her kind of change and grow. It's not the be all and end all of what Amy Pond is. And it's funny because I, I think about the way Moffat writes women for Doctor Who and the way he wrote women for something like Coupling. Um, I don't know if, if you all have, have watched Coupling. Um, because I was a fan of his on Doctor Who, I started watch, you know, I watched that on Netflix. And it seems so dated in its men are from Mars, women are from Venus view of, of, of gender. Whereas like, you know, even, you know, stuff about lesbians is like shocking and like, oh my God, S&M and oh my God, everything's so shocking. And this is what women really want. And that show to me seemed more offensive and troubling from a feminist perspective than, than his women on Doctor Who. His women on Doctor Who, by comparison, um, uh, you know, have a, have a very open approach to their sexuality and, and they're not, you know, they're not bound by it. They're not defined by it, but they're not afraid to use it either. And I think that's a big difference. Deb, you and I shared a panel at Galley where you expressed some differences of, of opinion on that subject. Well, you know, there's some things that I definitely agree with. Um, Moffat is such, he's such a lad. He's such a lad. Uh, <laughs> and he's turned his doctor into a bloke if you, if you watch some of very, the uh, extra material. Is, he is very blokish. Um, you know, I I think that I agree with Teresa in that the sexuality that is portrayed, I think, is very healthy, and I, and I enjoy that. I enjoy that that Amy is cute and she's smart and she's sassy and she's not afraid to be that, and it's not held against her. I I don't think that her character. I don't think she's had a particularly strong character arc. I don't think her character's been particularly developed into anything interesting. Um, what I have found, and again, and that goes back to, I think she's been a vehicle to advance the River Song story. Um, What I do find interesting is that Moffat has cast uh, Rory in the traditional feminine role of the the, the kind of hanger-on, anything for the guy, um, you know, let's advance his storyline more. Um, And even though he's kind of given Rory a very interesting story arc, and I think we talk, we discussed that at the panel as well, that, you know, if you had flipped the gender around and had Rory been the doctor's companion and Amy in the Rory role, that, that it's really kind of a disturbing, um, it, it's really kind of a disturbing balance of power there. So I think that, that was kind of interesting to me, the more I think about it. Um, but, you know, again, when we, we meet the female characters, it seems like they're going to be tremendously, tremendously interesting, and, and they almost become less so to me as, as time goes on. And I think part of that is the River Song storyline in which we meet her at the very peak of her uh, intriguingness, I guess. Um, and she's kind of devolving from there as we're seeing her story backwards. So, we you know, we meet this very strong, this very mysterious, um, powerful woman, and she's kind of devolving into this character who's all about the doctor um which is necessary to the story but i found a a little disappointing um i had huge issues with the comic relief special with the twin amys um and the upskirt joke. I mean, that, and I know everybody says, oh, you're taking it too seriously. But, but that just, to me, was beyond the pale. I was just appalled at that. Um, you know, I understand the humor, but I just didn't, I felt it was really out of place. But for the most part, I think that he's, he's almost writing good women despite himself, um, is kind of the feeling that I have. Let me turn the question to uh, Stephen and Neil. Um, Many years of uh, classic Doctor Who watching experience. Uh, you've seen <laughs> characters ranging from Mel to Ace to Sarah Jane yeah. to Dodo, even. Um, how do Moffat's female characters uh, stack up in your minds? 
The, that dynamic between Amy and um, Rory reminds me of Harry and Sarah yep. from the classic series, because I've just been watching them recently. And there is definitely an echo of that relationship where Sarah's the one in control and Harry's a bit of a bumbling fool that comes through at the, uh, at the final moment. And there's definitely an echo of that there. But this, you can't even compare the female characters that Moffat has to, to the classic series, really, can you? I mean, it's, uh, it's a different era. It's a different world. Um, I mean, all you can really do is compare it to the, uh, the Russell T. Davis era, when I think it's a massive improvement where you haven't got the female characters pining over the Doctor and endlessly, it seemed to me. Um, especially in the case of Martha. Um, so, yeah. Stephen? I think I agree with Neil. Uh, you know, um, it was kind of, it's weird to watch. I, I Like you said, Chip, I didn't want to turn this into a Moffat versus RTD thing, but it just seems such a different approach to companions uh, in the RTD era that I was pleased to find out how I, I enjoyed the repartee. I enjoyed how they got the, the sort of the companion adores the doctor thing out of the way relatively quickly in the Angel 2 parter and then sort of you know allowed the show to sort of get on without having to deal with that angst that was sort of there all the time through the Russell T. Davies era apart from the um, Dawn and Noble of course but um, so yeah I have a hard I, I, I like them I guess I have a hard time comparing them to, to others I suppose we'll find out what the new companion will be like uh, when she comes along in the Christmas special I'm telling you she's chameleon <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's, uh, and that's a great segue into uh, talking about what we expect for the next series of uh, Doctor Who. But before that, let's take a quick break and listen to some other reflections on Series 5 and 6 from fans at the Gallifrey One Convention in 2012 and a few other uh, voices that you may be familiar with. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Ingrid in Los Angeles, and I think that Series 5 was Stephen Moffat sort of making sure that the show was his own, and Stephen, Stephen, uh, Series 6 was him sort of opening up the throttle and saying, let's see what this baby can do. I'm going to throw everything into it. Can you hang on for this ride? Let's go. I'm Jason at Galley 23. I think Stephen Moffat left some big questions open and unanswered. I'm really interested to see how he answers those in the next season. IO9 Managing Editor, Charlie Jane Anders. Well, um, I'm a huge fan of a lot of aspects of it. The writing has been really brilliant. Uh, he's given us some of the most memorable moments in the series history. There are things, obviously, that I have reservations about, including the fact that he places the Doctor at the center of the universe, which paradoxically actually diminishes the Doctor as a hero. Unlike in, say, RTD's era, where the Doctor was responding to evil plots that were threatening the universe independent of the Doctor's existence, generally in the Moffat era, everything revolves around the Doctor. Everything is aimed at the Doctor. If the Doctor vanished from the universe, there would be no more problems. And I think that that actually makes the Doctor less of a hero and in some ways less inspiring. Do you believe that... Um, um, do you believe that he's making an effort, a genuine effort to put him back in the box or at the, at the end of this last series, or do you think that it's still a big, he's still a big universal hero? Um, well, I mean, the fact that the Doctor's name is such a huge secret that it threatens the entire fabric of the universe indicates that, no, he's not going to be put back in a box. And I suspect that the Doctor pretending to be dead is going to go the way of the randomizer and the Doctor's mother from the end of time and many other things that were introduced and then never mentioned again. But that's just my hunch. 
Hi, my name's Katie, and while I love season six, season five, my problem with Moffat is that he doesn't have the same kind of subtle qualities that Russell T. Davies had with the whole setup and reveal. His setup is big, but it seems when he does his reveal, it's not quite as big as he was setting it up to be. While Russell T. Davies, he had these little hints throughout each one of the seasons. There was that big reveal where no one saw it coming. I just wish Moffat would take that cue and bring more of that to the table, leave less build up attention and really just have the payoff that people want. Uh, my, I'm Matt from LA. My big problem with season six is that the story's kind of forced upon us in sequence. I like how in previous years it kind of bounced around schizophrenically and had little um, hints at um, something to make it all come full circle instead of being forced in a linear progression. Doctor Who Podshock co-founder Ken Deep. Well, I think we see the genius of Stephen Moffat. I think everybody an- anticipated when it was announced that he was going to be the new producer and showrunner that we were going to see something complex and interesting and different, and we got it. I think his he's been brilliant on the casting of Matt Smith. It's probably one of the best doctors we've ever had. He's just brilliant. But this season, I think he got a little too complex, and I'm looking forward, go- going forward, I'm looking forward to seeing... Um, just some straightforward storytelling. That seems to be what, what he's looking at, and I'm looking forward to that. And I think he's probably the best person that we could get to be running the show on the 50th anniversary. And I'm very curious to see how his creativity is going to, to uh, manifest itself going into the anniversary. Hello, I'm Katie Shuttleworth. I do cover art for the Chicks Dig uh, Time Lord series. Uh, I've really enjoyed the past two years of Doctor Who with uh, Moffat at the helm. I thought that the storylines were very clever, um, and I've enjoyed uh, Matt as the Doctor and, and Karen as Amy and Arthur as, uh, as Rory. Um, and I look forward to next season. Nerdist podcasting mogul Chris Hardwick. I really like Matt's approach to the Doctor. You know, I think... Um, Tenet probably played. Tenet was probably the doctor that I like. Everyone imagines what doctor they would be. So Tenet was probably the doctor that I would have been. But Matt just has this way of because he's the youngest. Uh, because he, as an actor, he's younger. You really get the sense. I don't know. He just you get the sense that the guy is like you know 907 years old. Like there's just like a, there's just a depth. He plays him with the depth, and he's just he's more a little more protected and guarded. And uh, I think that makes him super interesting. Um, I, I love the stories, but but again, you know, even under Russell T. Davies, Stephen Moffat was writing a lot of those, and so I don't feel like, oh, the show's taken such a hard right turn from where it was. Um, and I really, you know, I, I loved the whole, I love the silence as a villain, as a, as a you know a collective villain, and uh, I just I really think they've that Stephen's done a great job. You asked if people um, loved River or if they were ready to move on. I'm both. I think Moffat concentrates too much on the big mystery of the Doctor, and I just like Doctor Who to be about a guy traveling through time and space, finding himself in situations to get out of. I don't like everyone knowing him, everyone hating him, everyone wanting to kill him. I don't care what his real name is. I just like Doctor Who just traveling around and getting himself out of the situations he finds himself in. Hi. Um, I just would have liked to have seen in season six and in all honesty, season five, uh, a continuation of the reboot and not feeling like I am rebooted yet again. Um, So it was hard for me to follow and uh, get emotionally attached to. 
Mythbusters co-host Grant Imahara. David Tennant is my favorite doctor, and I had a tough time uh, adjusting to Matt Smith, and I definitely am just starting to come around, but I really do like him. I, I really like the stories um, that, that have been on this season in particular. And um, if I had to give it a grade, gosh, I'd give it a really strong B+. Hi, my name is Ruth Daughters, and I'm a fairly recent Doctor Who fan of the reboot, so, so about three years is when I started, three years ago. Um, and um, my, my biggest issue with um, the, the current incarnation of Doctor Who is just that I, I see um, almost um, an ignoring of what went on before. Um, I don't see Matt Smith's Doctor Who as having, as being the same doctor. It's like he's, yes, he's, he's his own doctor and every doctor has been, but he's lost the history that has happened with the previous doctors. I don't see, like when we first see him dying because he's been poisoned on the floor uh, we, and uh, he calls up his, uh, the, the voice, the impersonation of his voice and it's Rose and there's nothing, there's no emotion. And that's what I miss. Comedian Charlie Ross. I have to say that it's, it, it was a real poison chalice to take on something like this because it had been so successful. Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat had a real tough task. So what I really admire, I admire that they just went complete left field and they tried something really, really new and fresh. This year the story arc was a little bit over complex and took, it, took too long to get there and to get the resolution. And, and when we did get the resolution, we kind of guessed it was one of two things, that the doctor would either, the doctor who was killed was either a tessellator or <clears throat> a flesh doctor. Um, but you know, that's, that's just story, it's the, the way they want to do it, and they try to do something different, they're trying to put their mark on it. And I respect that and like that. I don't think there's been a moment so far that's been like the Daleks coming out of the globe in Army of Ghosts, or Derek Jacobi saying, you know, I am the master. It needs a couple more real punchy moments like that to, to get us squealing the way we did when we were kids. Um, but I'm sure they will. I, I'm, I've no doubt that that's up his sleeve. And he's a great writer. Uh, Steven's a phenomenal writer, a great talent. Artist Pia Guerra. I actually really enjoyed it. I think there was, uh, uh, there was some trepidation at first as to what the new Doctor was going to be like. But he jumped right in, fit right into it. Uh, the writing has been awesome, especially the Moffat's episodes. I, I'm a particular fan of those. Uh, I think the last season, the tops and tails were the really stellar elements that kind of hit you so quickly with every different twist and turn. And it was just mind-numbing to watch those episodes. They were fantastic. And then there was a whole bunch of episodes in the middle there that kind of slowed things down or stretched out too much. or It, wasn't, it was nowhere near as meaty as the tops and tails. And, but then when you got to the end and you saw there was the marriage, there was all this stuff happening throughout the whole history of time, it's like, yeah, that was a satisfying completion to it all. So you can kind of forgive everything that happened in the middle just because it was so fantastic. I, I love Muffet's work. Chicago Sun-Times technology columnist Andy Inotko. Seasons five and six were sort of a landmark event for me because I'd been leading a secret shame among my peer group. I was the one person at the table who not only didn't watch Doctor Who, but also didn't like Doctor Who. And before you judge me, realize that when I was growing up, the only episodes available were the ones from the 70s and the 80s. You know, the ones that had like the same production values as 
a local cable access high school sports show. And it not only soured me on those series of Doctor Who, but it also killed any future interest I would ever have in Doctor Who. But I happened to catch an episode of Matt Smith as the Doctor, and it immediately hooked me. I don't know whether it was the new production, I don't know whether it was the producer, don't know whether it was Matt Smith, but man, this was exactly the Doctor Who that I had been waiting for. And it turned me around completely into a DVD buy-in, iTunes digital download buy-in Doctor Who fan, who not only watches and likes all the episodes, but also is the first person to say, excuse me, his name is not Doctor Who. He is simply addressed as The Doctor. You never abbreviate it. It's D-O-C-T-O-R. So not only have I been turned around to become a Doctor Who fan, I've been turned around to become sort of an obnoxious Doctor Who fan. So uh, that's something that Matt Smith has to answer for, I'm sure. And we're back, and as Neil put it, everything seems to be leading up to the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. We've heard a lot of promises about what's to come in Series 7. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's uh, coming down the pipeline. Do we have any information at all that we can uh, form an opinion of where they're going with the new companion, for example? None whatsoever, as far as I know. (laughs) We don't don't even know her name. I mean... no. It's it's sort of remarkable that you, you, you have the rollout, you have the announcement of here's our new companion, and she's a pretty young girl, and her name is Jenna Louise Coleman, and that's it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm almost wondering why they did the rollout. Well, because people are going to see them filming, you know, yeah. it's like, you you know, people are going to be taking pictures and, and hounding the set and all of that. <laughs> they kind of have to. Um, but I'm almost glad that they don't. Uh, like I'm, um, I, I generally don't look at the internet for spoilers or anything or information about what's coming because I like to just get the show as it comes. Um, so I'm kind of glad that they're they're trying to keep her as under wraps as possible. Other other things that we've seen in the in, in the press and comments that Stephen Moffat has said before, he's claimed that there's going to be a, a less a less arc heavy structure to uh, this coming season, and I wonder if we can believe that. Yeah, I, I think, think so. he, I, I think he's listened to the criticism. Because it has been quite vocal, I think. Um, and he'd be daft not to. But he's still going to wrap up his story. I mean, that's clear. He's got the two-parter with uh, the... Oh, I, cannot, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. Maybe I shouldn't say. But they're, they're in New York now doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, don't, so, I don't think it's a spoiler to talk about uh, 400 people watching them film in Central Park. <laughs> <Yeah>. Which <laughs> is mental. <laughs> so that's obviously going to wrap up that side of the story and then where they go from there I expect the, the, the side story will be the Doctor Who question which will lead into the 50th anniversary that's what I'm thinking and I, I hope that you know he doesn't take the criticism too much to heart because I think as I said before season 5 uh, was, was wonderful and I loved it and I thought it was the right amount of um, arc kind of interwoven into the standalone episodes um, so he clearly can do that. I don't know what happened with series six and how it, it, it just kind of, it didn't happen in the same way and it didn't feel as organic to me. Um, but he, you know, I hope he doesn't, you know, do all standalone because I think he's very good at the art. I think there Why has to be more of a, I think there has to be more of a sense of freedom in writing standalones as well, because you're just, you're just constrained by the story that you want to tell, not the story you need to tell in order to, you know, take the next step in that arc to get to the final place. Um, I mean, as a writer, I have to think that would be, would be tremendously um, much more fun and freeing to, to sort of write that sort of an episode. I just wonder, I just wonder if it's going to be uh, 
different than series three of Sherlock because series two of Sherlock and and series six of Doctor Who sort of um, had the exact same approach in that they wanted to sort of show that their main character was becoming too big for his own good and faked his own death at the very end only to prove that he wasn't dead after all. So um, mm. if, if we knew series three, if we only saw series three of Sherlock before we saw Doctor <laughs> Who, we might know it's coming. But. So I, you know, it's 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 an interesting parallel. So I'm, you know, series two of Sherlock sort of focused on the really big stories, uh, you know, Hounds of the Baskerville, that sort of thing, and so maybe they're looking at scaling back that as well. And it's almost it's it's weird the the parallels between uh, the obvious setup in Doctor Who and that. I think I think we will get a, a lot more simpler uh, in storytelling, perhaps this year before building it up, you know, crazy big for series whatever in 2013. Mm-hmm. Building up crazy big. Now, that's one thing. Um, for every year, for the last six years, the series has ended on increasingly gigantic stakes. We've gone from saving the Earth to rebooting the universe to rebooting the universe again. Um, <laughs> are we hitting a point of diminishing returns? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always, I mean, going back to Russell T. Davis again, um, sorry, but uh, I, I remember when he came to write uh, Tennant's Swan Song, he did toy with the idea of Tennant just, you know, not saving the world or anything like that or saving Gallifrey. It was going to be a really small story where he just saves a couple of people. And I was really disappointed they didn't go through with that. And I think that's what we need now is something s- small scale and poignant rather than. Uh, huge and complicated right at the very end. I think that's, that's, that's what we need, something slightly different. I agree. I think, the, I think the big stories, I mean, at some point, you can only sing that high note so many times. You know, at, at some point, you just kind of have to bring it down, and, and there's a certain beauty and elegance in, in a quiet story that can have just as much impact without the whiz-bang explosions and, and how big can we get and, and how shocking can we get. Um, and I think Moffat can do that. He's delivered on those quiet stories, um, yeah. and I'd love to see a finale that, that brings a more quieter, smaller moment. I'm actually looking forward to seeing how... Um how Amy and Rory leave the show. Um, and I'm, you know, Stephen Moffat has said that he's, you know, he's going to make us cry. And I hope that the source of, of those tears are not, you know, the product of some big explosion ridden, you know, episode, but because I know that he has said that it, it involves weeping angels. I mean, I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, but I avoid spoilers. So I've heard that like in the ether, but it does involve weeping angels, but I do hope that, wherever those tears come from, come from an actual emotional character driven place and not because something big and horrible happened. <laughs> but I don't think Moffat's that sort of a writer. I mean, Moffat, Moffat doesn't go for the pain every time he goes for the pain. If it advances his story, but it's not, you know, there, there, we have seen some stories where it seems like, um, you know, th- that emotional wrench is a little bit artificial. Um, and it just, it's designed to make you feel an emotion. I don't get that sense from Moffat as a writer from what we've seen from him. We do get those emotional moments, but you know, they always kind of work out at the end. I mean, even when Rory was erased from time, did anybody not think he would come back? I mean, right. I think we all, we all had a faith that the, the, the story wasn't going to be sacrificed just for this painful moment. Um, so I, 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 think it, I think it's going to hurt because we're saying goodbye to some characters, but I don't think we're going to get that rip your heart out and stomp it on the floor moment that we've seen in some of the stories in the past well unless time gets rewritten again 
we've seen them waving uh, from a hilltop in the Silurian episode from like five years in the future or something like that. So I'm really not expecting the Statue of Liberty to turn into a weeping angel and stomp on them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I expect that to be the final scene. <laughs> a Mon- the Statue of Liberty doing a Monty Python foot on top of them? Yeah. I expect well, that. Well, a weeping angel and doing that, yeah. That bit on the hillside will probably be their final scene. I bet you any money. Well, let's wrap this up with uh, some uh, predictions and some hopes. Um, and uh, we'll start with Neil and yep. uh, go with Stephen and Teresa and Deb. Uh, starting with Neil, mm-hmm. uh, what are you expecting in the next series? Zygons. <laughs> There you go, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's both a hope and an expectation. Um, I am I am. Uh, it's it's been announced that the Daleks are coming back, and uh, I think they're also coming back in episode one, which is written by Stephen Moffat, which is uh, a new territory that we're into here. Moffat hasn't really written for classic like a whole story based on classic uh, series monsters and he's doing the big ones so i am very intrigued to see what he does with that so i'm i'm looking forward to the very first episode of the season and going from there i have two hopes actually uh one that you know we actually get to know the silence even better um i think that that's one of you know along with the weeping angels um moffat has created two of the most powerful really interesting new you know monsters to come along and I hope that that continues. Like, I, I, as much as I love the Daleks, you know, I, I find the Silurians interesting. I love the Centaurans. Um, but I'm kind of, you know, tired of the always going back to old planets. It's like the, the universe is a big place. Um, and there are lots of, 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 you know, aliens that we could be getting to know. So I, I'm, my hope is that he will, you know, create some amazing new characters that are as interesting, if not more so, than, than The Silence of the Weeping Angels. And Deb. I'm hoping against hope that the new companion is not a modern-day Earth companion um, and is at best an alien, and at worst, at least from another part of time. Um, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen or not. It's not, not certainly not been the the past experience. Um, and I really, really, really want to see a, a past Doctor reunion. I that's I think my fondest hope is to is to see something you know flashbacks anything I just I would like to see all that tied together and if they could bring the eighth doctor in that's even better well that's that's actually let's let's have that fan wink moment with that last uh, with that last question because I'd like to see a past doctor reunion as well and I'm wondering how in the Moffat era with the actors available how it would actually be done is is there is there really an appetite for that and if so how would you do that? Would you actually it's, recast past doctors or anything like that? No, it's yeah. inevitable. It's inevitable. It's going to happen, but I think it will just go. It's going to be David Tennant, and that will be it. That's yep. what's going to happen. You know, it's the simplest solution. You've got two ways you can play it. You know, he's not aged that much. You can either have him as the alternative version with Rose, and you can bring her back. But why would you? And then, or you've got the he's just you know in a different part of his time time stream. So um, that's going to be the easy solution. Uh, I'd love Paul McGann to come back. I really would, but. Can't see it. Yeah, he'd be he'd be a blank slate. I would consider that to be a plus as well as a minus. I yeah, I know you speak on behalf on behalf of that. And it's a great idea, Chip. But you when you think of the and I always try and think of the the general public when it comes to this. And to the general public, uh, the Eighth Doctor was on for one night in nineteen ninety six. Exactly. And you know anyone other than nine point two four million people uh, never saw him basically. Yeah. Um, you know, apart from the odd little flashback in uh, in. 
in montage clips in Doctor Who Confidential. So it'd be like teaming up George Lazenby with Daniel Craig. It just it's pointless. <laughs> well, we have we have seen little flashes of McGann's face here and there, so it's not completely. I mean, it is canon now. So we saw him uh, in the Book of Impossible Things, plus we saw him in the Next Doctor. He's and, always been canon. He's never not been canon. Well, I I concur, but you know, there's a huge swath of fandom that would like take you down. Um, well, they're insane. Before that, they are. They, <laughs> they couldn't get over the half human line. No, <laughs> it was the kiss. It was the kiss that did it. Right. I really wish that um, we could see Eccleston again, and I know that won't happen. Never gonna but, happen. Um, he, you know, it, it's it's a shame because he was the, the doctor that introduced me to Doctor Who, and you know, to have him not be a part of things, you know, is like, oh. But um, I also think, as far as like how it could happen, um, I just imagine something like the you know the Pandorica opening, where you know all of the the aliens, you know, coming to basically take the Doctor down. I kind of see something similar happening with with all of his former selves kind of, you know, coming back to teach him a lesson in a really horrible way. Like that's how Moffat would do it. It's like, it's not a nice reunion. It's a, you know, we're going to, we're here to school you on what you need to be doing kind of moment. But again, it won't happen. (laughs) I demand an animated episode for the 50th anniversary and I demand some past doctor voices. I want a live episode and a musical. Uh, (laughs) I would love that to musical. Oh I will quit. Do- I will quit watching Doctor Who if there's a musical. But <laughs> I would love a live comic relief special set inside the uh, original '80s TARDIS console room. I think with the current cast and crew, I think that'd be quite, quite something special enough for fans, but something throw enough, throw away enough that to not um, lose your audience, so to speak. But will it be canon, Steve? That's the question. <laughs> we'll we'll leave that to the fans of debate. <laughs> okay, and the podcasters. And the podcasters. Um, Guys, I have really appreciated this conversation. Teresa, Deb, Stephen, Neil, it's been great uh, talking with you guys about the last two years and the upcoming Lord only knows how many years. Um, Stephen Moffat, last thing before we go, roundtable, how many more years is uh, Stephen Moffat going to stay on before he moves on to something else? Starting with Neil. Two. Stephen. Two. Deb. Two. Teresa. I was going to say two. We are so agreeable. This, Where's the controversy here? Our, my ratings are just going to go into the toilet. I see, you, uh, My Skype cut out. I said 22, actually. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. I, I really I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for being a part of this time dilation episode of 2MTL, and I'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, Chip. Thanks, see you, Chip. And that was a time dilation episode of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. You can find more normal episodes of this show at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com or on iTunes, where if you want to leave a review, I'd love it. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Look for numeral Two Minute Time Lord. We'll be back talking about attachments and cyborgs and whether Larry Page is one. Catch you soon. <laughs>